your girl Sada Star coming to you with another episode of A Day in the Life of the Alpha Woman, the official podcast of the Easy Breezy Life Community. If this is your first time joining us, we are a community of fierce, focused, and fired up women who are out here bossing up and managing multiple plates at any given moment. Before I get started, it's important to note that the Easy Breezy Life is intended for education and entertainment purposes only. We want you to get all the help that you can get. So please, if anything we share strikes a chord with you, seek your legal, financial, and medical professional. This does not replace professional advice. So I have had a very busy week, but at this point they're all busy and there's always a curveball associated with these weeks. And so... I've adjusted to what is the new normal, I guess. All right, guys, as I mentioned in this season, we are playing Black Card Revoked 1. So this week's question is, if someone puts their hand on your hip, what is the appropriate response? A, I dip. B, we dip. C, you dip. Or D, All of the above. Let's read that again and guess the answer. If someone puts their hand up on your hip, what is the appropriate response? When I dip, you dip, we dip. All of the above. Congratulations. You get to keep your black card this week. All right, ladies. Going to take a brief break. I have a very special guest, Rachel Sacabo of Winda Movement, who also happens to be my cousin. And she will be sharing about how she is birthing light. Um, you can look Rachel up at www.mwindamovement.co or look her up on Glamour Magazine because she was recently featured in a conversation about black hair. Um, Rachel is a fantastic woman, very strong values and ideas about promoting blackness and using her faith and everything that she is to do so. I really hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed recording it with her. We will be right back. And we are back. Joining me today is Rachel Sacabo of Mwinda Movement. Rachel has overcome life's varying adversities with an unwavering optimism. As a Congolese-born immigrant in America, Rachel's duality in cultures has allowed her the flexibility to understand and address the needs of Black people within the diaspora. Her heart for and call to service has propelled her into birth work, facilitating a healing through the light that has been her faith. Where she has been, is currently and will be, has been a practice in action to the call of her higher power. Wow. Hello, Rachel. Hi. Wow. (laughs) Okay, so I start these interviews by telling people how I know people. So, folks, Rachel is my cousin on my mama's side. Mm-hmm. And I, what I think yep. is interesting mm-hmm. in the movement is like, that's you. And I think your bio was so on par, right? But also, as I was reading your bio, I'm like, something in my mind went, meet Rachel. 
Um, what is interesting about how Rachel and I know each other is that she is my cousin on my mother's side. And um, we all kind of grew up together and then went through a period of disconnect. And then most recently, I want to say this year before or during the pandemic, I cannot remember which month it was specifically, you moved back to New Jersey and we had a chance to reconnect, um, which I really think is, I think is God reconnecting certain mm-hmm. relationships for me in this season in my life. Um, but also as I read your bio, I was just so impressed by the woman you've become, right? Like your bio read like a becoming bio. So why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you're about, and going to what is Mean That Movement? Um, I'm glad that you said the woman that I'm becoming, right? I love to speak in the present tense. I don't ever like to believe that I've arrived anywhere yet. I'm a forever learner. And, you know, we don't arrive until the day that we are called back up, you know, to our Heavenly Father. And, you know, so I always want to stay in that posture of constant learning, learning. So... A little bit about myself, I feel like (laughs) that's a lot of stuff. That's a very big question, but um, I'm like anybody. I'm a Black woman of uh, not just Congolese descent. I was born there. I'm an immigrant woman in America um, out here trying to, uh, (laughs) what what is it, to uh, make a dollar out of 15 cents, you know? Uh, but Mwinda movement in particular, just, you know, fast forward to that part of my life right now, is born out of the training that I took as a doula um, that I thought was just going to be something supplemental that I would do, you know, occasionally. But because of the pandemic and the loss of my job because of the pandemic, it's just unfolded into this this is your moment now, do this now, you know, no better time than the present, you know, so Winda movement, which Winda means light, uh, light movement, you know, I want to, it's dark out there <laughs> and it's going to get darker. It's getting, you know, where, where winter time is coming. So I want to be that light that is not just going to be stationary, shining on people, but moving through this darkness. People need the, the movement, the hope, I feel like hope is an action word to hope that, you know, and that's, that's what the movement encompasses. Yeah. The hope movement, right? (laughs) I love it. Um, Especially when you mentioned about these times, right? Because I think, I think, you know, you mentioned in a prior conversation that we are now entering another baby boom because folks are home and I can already think of baby showers that are happening and babies that are coming and baby announcements that are coming. And I'm just sure 2021 is going to be it. I'm just, I'm just going to start putting my coins aside now. Yeah. All the family members who are having children in the coming year. But um, also what you mentioned about it being a dark time. Like I think I never imagined that we'd be living through a pandemic um, trying to fight racial injustice. And then it's an election year where it's so polarizing and so I appreciate what you bring the light mm. somebody's gotta mm-hmm. bring 
right? And so, no, seriously. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about stepping into purpose a little bit, right? Because um, it's been a journey for you. How how did you get into birth work? Because I come from a family predominated by women, <laughs> or not pre- predominantly women, dominated by women. Uh, so there were babies. There was never a shortage of kids being around. If it wasn't coming directly from the family, like you said, you grew up with us, kids visiting our home. You know, there were weekends of just kids everywhere. And, you know, for some people, that invasion, quote unquote, of space would turn them off to kids. But for me, it was like, yes, there's kids and we get to play. And, you know, like it, it was exciting for me, especially when there were younger kids. Um, uh, we just celebrated our cousin Nicolas' 30th birthday. And he's our first baby for me. Like that's my first baby. Uh, he is He is 30. And I'm just like, my goodness, what? <laughs> you know, like, I can't believe it. Uh, he is grown. And, you know, my aunt who had him was for me like the epitome of like what I wanted to be as a parent and, you know, all these things. So, you know, growing with all these kids around, babysitting, watching, playing, all that. At the age of 12, I was like, I want kids. I knew I wanted kids. I didn't know how. You know what? No, I knew how. It's crazy because I was a very old 12-year-old. And I was like, I'll adopt. I'll do this. I'll do that. But I knew I wanted kids. And then I got older and my sister started to have kids. And I was there unofficially as a doula. I don't know when I came across the term doula, but I always knew that birth work, being around, coaching, you know, that's something that I wanted to, you know, do. And I would insert myself like, I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to do this. And um, then last year, um, 2019, I or rather 2018, the winter of 2018, I started to really focus in like, okay, let me take this seriously and let me see what it's about. What are the organizations that I align with? Because I started following other doulas. And I would ask them those questions. And those are the answers that they were giving me. Check. There's so many organizations, you know, uh, see who you align with. And at that time, I think there was like this boom in the trend of doulas. And, you know, I found Ancient Song Doula Services in Brooklyn. And what aligned with me, with to them, was the focus on social justice work, the advocacy behind the a pregnant person because I feel like a lot of times people think of a doula as just I'm going to be rubbing your back I'm going to be sleeping you know talk to you softly and we could be all that but I didn't realize that we could be all that and more I before being a doula I've had uh, family members who were in hospitals but unfortunately because I wasn't the adult I couldn't really speak up about, you know, certain treatments, et cetera. Uh, But it didn't stop me from trying. There was an incident where my grandmother was in the hospital and I was with her a lot uh, in her dying days. And a doctor came in and he said, we're going to take her to ICU. Didn't see that doctor the whole day. 
it, there was a shift change. He's just like, we're taking her to ICU. I opened my mouth and I said, why? This man went off on me. Like, how dare you? I'm the doctor. And da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. I was like, she's my grandmother. Why are you taking her? Because I knew enough. Again, I was, I was always, you know, absorbing information, reading, watching shows, and particularly uh, at that time, medical shows. And I was like, ICU is not just a word you throw out. It's serious. Why are you taking her to the ICU? He's yelling, slams down the, um, the chart and walks, storms off. I call my mom. I'm crying. Mind you, my grandmother is laying there. She's, you know, at this point, she was no longer verbal. And, and I'm just like looking at her and I'm like, it's okay. You're not going anywhere. I'm calling my mom. I'm like, they're talking about, they're taking her to the ICU. A nurse comes in, not the doctor. A nurse comes in. I just want to apologize. He thought that X, Y, and Z was an issue. He hadn't checked the chart yet. He wanted to take her. And I was like, excuse me? So from then on, and then, yeah, yeah, exactly. So she would have gone into ICU. Things would have deteriorated quickly because they would have been uh, introducing all these interventions. Exactly. That were unnecessary, possibly killing her, honestly sooner than, um, you know, because he was saying her potassium was low. So then he would have done all these things to shoot it up. Right. So all this to say that in um, aligning with ancient song and wanting to become a doula and realizing that, you know, there is a need in advocacy. Our voices aren't heard on the level of healthcare overall. So specifically to birth where we are bringing in life and you are not listening to me, you're not going to listen to me. Don't worry. Cause I'm busy in labor, but my doula will speak. And that's me. Yeah, that's me. So that's, that's the story for that. Woo, it gets me hot. <laughs> that story spoke to me on so many levels because I think, I think, you know, nothing helps to paint a picture of what everyday experiences look like for black and brown communities, specifically when you talk to the healthcare system and um, just hearing you talk about doctors and not wanting to be questioned makes me think of my entire pregnancy journey um, where, you know, as you're aware, high risk pregnancy, twins, lost a child and really feeling that I lost my child my child didn't have to die. Someone made a mistake. Mm. Someone was rushing. Someone was not listening per usual. And I also have to say that we almost lost Emmanuel in the same way for the same medical facility. Also not listening when I had a concern. What I have learned now is that if you are in the medical profession and you can't hear me as your client, I can't be your patient. If you cannot hear me, you can't see me, you don't understand What's happening here? I don't want, I don't want to talk to you. And you're right, because there's this, there's this attitude sometimes of certain doctors, not all, right? Not all, but of this godlike deity. You're not a deity. Mm-hmm. Practice. And I was mentioning to you that maybe what I needed was a doula, an advocate, and not understanding that there's a difference between a nurse, a midwife, and a doula, and that difference is advocacy. Um, in being able to speak up for someone who may not understand what is supposed to be happening. 
And obviously, you know, as being a doula, someone who's witnessing births and your interest is not to protect the medical system. It is purely for your client. It is purely for the woman you're, you, you are assigned to help, you know, give light or birth mm-hmm. in that particular moment. It is so important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm separated from the systems and for it to not always be you yourself advocating because you're it, when you're pregnant hormones are all over the place like I remember just crying exactly and tick I don't even know what question to ask I just knew that contraction something- pains <laughs> yes and so how can you speak through that wow and they're wow. expecting you to sign off your life essentially in the midst of that you know you're you're you know, I, I was taught, you know, during the training, something that I didn't know because my own uh, birth story, pregnancy story is wrought with trauma. And uh, I wish I had a, an advocate for me because the scare tactics. Oh, I was told I was going to kill my baby if I didn't get induced. Literally. Yep. The doctor came in, black woman. Doctor came in and she said, you're going to kill your baby. I was like, excuse me, started crying. And I, and I specify her, her, uh, her gender and her race because a lot of people feel that, you know, well, black people, you know, we should be there. What, listen, when the, when the system is built off of uh, the, uh, the idea of white supremacy, Mm. the trickle down is going to affect everyone. Mm. Everyone is affected by it. It's all about proximity to that I quote unquote ideal of whiteness and the healthcare system is not exempt. So those trained under it are not exempt. I, I give thanks to the ones who try their, their best to, you know, go against the tide, but the system is so ingrained. Right. I mean, you're bound to come across people who look like you who are telling you these these kind of things who are using these kind of scare tactics so you know like so i i remember coming in for my labor and i'm in the middle of labor and i have to sign these this paperwork what we were taught was you can do hospital visits, tours. You can ask in advance for the paperwork so you can go over it and you can dispute things because what people fail to realize is policies are not law. They are just policy. You do not have to agree with everything. So just going in educated uh, beforehand. But not everyone knows that. And a lot of times it's last minute stuff, you know, but that doesn't mean that you still can't advocate for yourself. And this is why putting the word out there, you know, this is what a birth worker does, you know, uh, in whatever capacity a birth worker, because uh, birth workers are midwives as well. Birth workers are us, the doulas, or, you know, just the support. We just, you know, being, uh, having informed consent and having your team around you know that, okay, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. And this is how I need you to speak on my behalf when I cannot. So... It's so important. I, I just, the, the benefit of it will save so many people. Wow. We out here saving lives. You're saying a lot. You are saying a lot. And so, you know, I think what you're, <laughs> what you're hinting at here is that doula is also a form of activism without 
Yeah. Absolutely. I hope I'm not hinting. I hope I'm just flat out <laughs> saying that. I, I, all the way, all the way. I can't, I, for me, something happened to me in 2015 and it just, the switch. I've always been like that though. Like it's always been in me. Like since I was little, it's always, right. But I've always been more quiet about it. Yeah. I'm not so quiet anymore because I'm over it. I'm done. I, you know, you, you, um, life keeps throwing things at you. Right. And the, the trials and tribulations that come, I feel like those are fair. What is unfair is the compounding of those trials and tribulations by outside sources. That is unfair. So rather than you sit quietly and, you know, take all these, you know, trials and tribulations, like, you know, meekly, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pull a Jesus, flip some tables, crack the whip. Like, I'm done. I'm not doing this. You're not going to be all on me telling me X, Y, Z. And just, I I, I can't, I can't go into the night quietly. (laughs) I can't. I have to speak out. I have to speak up, especially if I have all this information. It just doesn't make sense for me. I can't. And I'm going to scream it to the top of my lungs. Or, or sometimes, you know, I don't have to speak up. Like, I don't have to yell. I, I, I feel like I have a, a commanding enough voice. <laughs> and just, I'll just be direct. What I hear about you so much is that your delivery is always at the same tone. You've been like that your whole life, though. Like, I feel like that's a gift. Zaria. <laughs> yes. Da, 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 da. But that, but you see how <laughs> that thing has become a gift in the work that you're doing? Because it's so easy sometimes to label people as angry black woman. If you raise your voice, yep. or get upset. You know, we've seen this on TV. We've seen it even with mm-hmm. ten, with um, Serena Williams showing any emotion at all. And all of a sudden she's unruly. And, mm-hmm. and many other white counterparts have done the same thing. Um, right. I think for you, it gives you, it has become another layer of strength for you where we're not going to get distracted by my body. You, you, I'm not going to allow you to say you were distracted by my body language or tone. Um, I said what I said, and I need you to hear it clearly on this recorded line. That's, <laughs> that is absolutely it. I used to get, not teased, my, my coworkers at my last job, used to, <laughs> they, they, they respected me for it, but they were like, wow, Rachel, you have this real, really calm intellectual kind of way of tearing people down (laughs) I was like what I'm not here to tear anyone down they're like no like when our bosses when management would come you know come at us sideways and I would very calmly just put them back in their you know compartment like we're not doing that here we're we're just not and I'm going to tell you why we're not Mm -hmm. very calmly but then now now that's insubordination Right. Because wow. even though I'm not yelling, it's my tone. Like you said, my body language, like they comment, like, why aren't you smiling? I said, I smile for the clients. I'm not here to smile for you. And it doesn't mean that I'm upset either. We're, you're, we're not kicking. We, we don't have that relationship. You know, I'm very, I'm, as I get older, I'm getting clearer about my boundaries about how I interact with people because what I don't want is for you to get the wrong idea. And I think a lot of that has to do with my upbringing in New York because yeah. walking down the street, ayo ma, ayo ma, 
Ah, oh, you can't smile. Mm-mm, I can't. I'm not even going to look at you. I'm going to keep it going. You know, like just that. You, and it's that outer shell. It doesn't mean that inside I'm not soft and caring and nurturing. Otherwise, I couldn't be in this line of work. Mm-hmm. It's that I have to protect that softness. Yes. I have to. I have to. Yeah. That is so something that um, I too have been thinking about of saying like, you know, I need to be able to meet people with the work that I do um, and helping women to be able to love on them and open up so that I can connect with what their vision is. And I have become so vicious about protecting that and detaching myself from anything that might compromise my ability to come on here and do it with a pure heart. Yeah. It's saying, it's saying no to a lot of things, a lot of things. Yeah. But I think what you mentioned there was good, right? You got a lot of training in uh, Left Rack City. <laughs> yes, Left Rack. In Queens, New York. So talk to me, if there was one, mm-hmm. just one, because I know you got many, some of which we were a part of. One, coming of age ah. that you say would be a defining moment that changed the way you saw the world. Coming of age, oof. it's so funny because I was talking about this just yesterday with um, Naomi, my uh, other cousin, and it has it's it's surrounding with um, with the line of work that I'm in, and it's it's a little triggering. Um, so I was sixteen not in a good place mentally, not understanding the things that were going on in my mind, uh, not understanding the scientific end of it, uh, not really trying to accept the spiritual aspects of it. So I was just in a tailspin. So that translated into me uh, showing outward signs of, disinterest or sluggishness or whatever the case. And my mom, she, you know, African parent, not really knowing what to do was (laughs) the first thought was you're having sex. I got to take you to the gynecologist. And I was like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not like, because I wasn't going to school, like cutting school. And then at this point I wasn't even cutting because at least if you cut school, you went somewhere else. I was just outright not getting up. I wasn't going anywhere. So my mom was like, no, something's wrong. You're having sex. Something's up. (laughs) And I'm like, uh, why is that the go-to? But okay. So I, so she's like, you have to go to the gynecologist. And I, I, at that point, 16, had never been. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I I don't, I don't want to go. Like we, you know, sex wasn't talked about. And I feel like, you know, that's a normal age that you should be going anyway, because I I don't know for everyone, but for me, I was a few years into having my menstrual. I should have at 16, at least started going, you know, even if I wasn't active, but she, she, she was like, let's go. So we go and I'm literally like kicking and screaming. I don't want to go. I don't feel like I have to. And I'm telling her like, I'm not active. I wasn't, I was the rare 16 year old who was not I just was everyone who knew me I my nose was in a book I had no time (laughs) for anything like 
think that. My nose was in a book. So right. she takes me to this doctor. I will never forget her name. And say your name. Mm-hmm. She there's such a thing as medical violence. There is such a thing as Ow. assault in that context. How traumatizing. Um completely complete like if if they didn't know what and, and mind you <laughs> after the doctor did her absolutely incredibly inhumanely rough exam um goes and tells my mom you know i i believe her i don't think she's active but she doesn't have a you know she doesn't have her hymen but that 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 could be a a, a myriad of reasons why like there are myriad of reasons why you know she wouldn't not 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 an indigenous village somewhere <laughs> okay this is this is a united nyc okay of america yes uh, it, it was the year 2000 <laughs> it was the year 2000 and um i just went into a deeper hole at that point but now in the line of work that i'm in and having that reference point uh Maybe at that moment, it wasn't coming of age. Like I didn't recognize it, but it did change something in me that has led me down this path and gotten me to where I don't want anyone to ever experience that, ever. Young child. My mom, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> maybe I still have some resentments, but I don't blame her fully. This is what she thought was going to help. You know, like, uh, T.I., when he, him and his daughter, that whole situation First of all, as a man, <laughs> I felt like he should have just kept his mouth shut. But you know, it's not un- it's not unique to just my mom or to the TIs of the world. It's not unique to to think that oh, this is this is a way to make sure and check an X, Y, and Z. It's not. It- so when that TI situation came up, I was like, oh, so it is a thing. People do this, right? But Aside from that, what the doctor did, the treatment of my young body at that time, you know, I couldn't have been the first patient and I, I'm, sure, I'm, certainly, I'm certain I wasn't the last. Um, and I'm certain that she's not the first or the last doctor who's still doing this. There are pregnant women uh, who, when they're going in for exams and they're being assaulted or uh, in the midst of the birth being assaulted. But your, your lack of knowledge, your upbringing, you think this is the norm. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to feel like X, Y, Z. The quote-unquote father of modern gynecological medicine was a sadist. So it's not, really? it's not, it's not a stretch. It's not a stretch. Who used to do um, uh, medical examinations on enslaved women. Hmm? Is this medical? Is this history that you're saying us about this sadism, or is it hearsay? Like you just said that. Yes. The, tell us more. I I call him a sadist because he uh so he was a doctor in uh the eighteen somethings. I'm not sure 
uh, they used to have a statue of him uh, in New York. They tore that down during that tearing down of the statues uh, or they removed it. But he used to do medical exams on enslaved women without without anesthesia because, you know, black woman trope, we can withstand excruciating levels of pain. Right. Quote unquote. So that and then that trickles down, trickles down, trickles down through generations, and that mentality stays, and it stays in the medical world. In medical books, they have it listed by by different um, uh, uh, ethnicities. Uh, well, they can uh, withstand X, Y, and Z amount of pain. Yes, like the way that we are, it's still ingrained. It, it's it's so like deep. It's Dr. incredible Black how deep little- it is. It's like black. It's like when the doctor said black little girls do best in the NICU. So we can pull out this pick line from your daughter, even though she has premature kidneys. She got this. Yo. All right. So this conversation could go on and on, but I think what you are saying on this call is. If the advocacy won't come from outside, it has to start coming from within. And we need people like you who are out here doing this work. I needed some lighting like you. In the future, I will be looking for you. Because, <laughs> yes, because it's not only that. Like when, I, when a woman is going to give birth, the last thing you want to have to do is fight while you're giving birth. Somebody needs to be there fighting for you. And what you're saying is so appropriate. Like, you know, it's not just um, white doctors or doctors who are not Black who are doing it. It's some, sometimes it's even Black women You know, saying like, I remember someone saying to me when I was pregnant, high risk pregnancy, hey, pregnancy is not a disability. Get up and move around. I'm like, yeah, that's why you're not invited to my home. Right? (laughs) Okay. That I'm not okay. And because you're used to suffering and pain, I should also be embracing suffering and pain. And enough of that. This is why the health disparities are the way that they are. Things that no one else puts up with and is expected to put up with, we've made an emblem or a symbol of strength and courage. As opposed to having the strength and courage of saying, hey, I need an advocate and I deserve to rest. I deserve to have a positive birthing experience. My child deserves to come in this world and not traumatized. And I say that as a woman who has a son who is still traumatized by touch because of what he experienced in his first year of life. Mm. I can't even wake my son out of his sleep without him responding in a very traumatic way. You know, and so I just, you know, tip my hat off to you because the work that you're doing, you may not understand, maybe you do. It's courageous work. And it is, it's being a light in dark spaces, in spaces that, as you were mentioning, where lives have been lost because of people making assumptions and not listening and devaluing lives because of a profession that was based on saying these races can tolerate pain or hardship at a harder rate than others. Like, well, just because we can doesn't mean that we should be living it. And the fact that you would make that assumption based on race is so problematic. 
But Rachel, I thank you so much for coming on today. I want you to tell the women a little bit about how you work with um, expecting parents because you do have a very inclusive model with Winda Movement. How do you work with expecting parents, families, whether it be through surrogacy or other ways to help them transition their children into the world? Um, it's very instinctual work or instinctive. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I feel like my level of care comes from just, you know, you got to read people's temperatures, you know, there's their energies. I'm, I'm, I come into a space and, you know, I'm an empath. So I feel everything. Right. So if I'm meeting a new parent, Automatically, I'm like, if this is their first time, there may be levels of nervousness, there may be, you know, uncertainty, or they may be one of those that read everything and knows everything, right? So I just go in with the ability to be flexible and be open and listen. What are they saying? And then how can I be of assistance because that's that's the posture I always want to come in like I'm here in servitude to you like I'm here to be an addition not to be it you are it and I, I I'm here to just uh, supplement I'm an extension of the care that you need and you want Great. um yeah so that's that's my approach with them uh, if they're single, then I'm an extension of the kind of partnership that they would need. Uh, it, like if they're lacking in a family unit, getting them resources. If they are uh, already partnered up, then making sure, and I feel like it's so important, that the partner has, you know, not just the typical involvement that people think the partner should have, but more inclusive, tell it, remind it, I'm a big reminder of, don't forget the intimacy part. I, I feel like sometimes I, I'm like part therapist when I go into my, you know, sessions with, with my clients to meet with them. I'm like, okay, so yeah, we talked about all the pregnancy things, but what's going on in your mind? How are you two doing? Like, I, that's just my approach. I just, I feel that, and it, it, there's no like formal training. It's just life experience and, and instinct. That's, that's my approach. Just natural. Oh, I feel, I feel here. I feel like I'm being healed already. Just talking to you. It's just so amazing. It is. Your energy is something. It's something else. Wow. Well, you heard it here. Um, Easy breezy tribe. And I think why is doula work so important to your experience as alpha women? You know, uh, as I always mentioned to folks, the day in the life of the alpha woman, it's really a representation of trauma. You don't just become this stone wall. I'm going to tick on the world, Xena warrior princess. It is because life has moved <laughs> that way. And so what we're seeking to do in this community is to start dismantling that idea because it being a, a Christian community, that is not what God intended for us. Um, and while I believe that God validates how we became this way and why it was necessary. He also really desires to see women, and especially in this season, Black women, heal, um, to feel protected, to feel loved, to feel like they have advocates. And, you know, do I wish that someone else would advocate on our behalf? Yes. But if they won't, we can advocate on one another's behalf. 
So I thank you for being a part of that, for mm-hmm. being the light or what we call Mwinda in Lingala, for those who don't know what Mwinda means. Mm. You can get in contact with <laughs> Rachel at www.mwindamovement.co or at Mwinda Movement on IG. And the link to all of her details will be in our episode notes. Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you for this. Thank you. Then you know. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the outlet to share. Oh, absolutely. All right. Tune in next week for our next conversation at A Day in the Life of the Alpha Woman. Thank you.